Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for being with us on a Wednesday and a busy show here on a Wednesday. We have Comets tickets to give away, details on that in just a bit. Plus, IU gets a win at home, they escape, but it wasn't all good news for the Hoosiers. Plus, Notre Dame, their incoming transfer quarterback is going to be out for quite some time. We'll give you the details later this hour. Also, the Comets unveiled, or the Comets, the Padres unveiled the coaching staff for the Tin Caps for the upcoming season. Details after headlines. And at hour number two, IU continues to do just enough to stay on the bubble. Do we actually believe they're going to make their way into the tournament? They're the sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament, as crazy as that is. Not hard to believe. Yeah, but we have half of the yeah, Big yeah. Ten season left. A lot of time left. So we'll, we'll debate that. And they that. could be playing shorthanded for the remainder of the uh, season. Yes. After last night. Yes. Also, Matt Painter speaks on Braden Smith's Bob Cousy Award snub. What he had to say and why ultimately, Purdue fans, relax. It doesn't matter. And Tom Brady is... Well, he's got an interesting career arc, right, from six-round pick. Well, at least that's what we thought. Tom Brady, though, has a different narrative that he is telling when it comes to how he came about in the NFL. We'll get to that after 8.30. And the Cicada Apocalypse is coming to Indiana this summer. Can't wait. Now, shouldn't impact us in Fort Wayne, but uh, we'll give you the details on the counties that this will be very prevalent in. So, brace yourselves this is a once-in-over-200-year event. Can't wait. Yeah. Those cicadas are coming. Do, do you like cicadas? Like, I don't mind cicadas. I don't mind them. They're kind of weird-looking, right? They are weird-looking. But I, I like I do the think sound. The sound is synonymous with summer yes. with me. So I don't mind them. I, I don't either. I feel the same way. As long as you know your dog's not eating a cicada yeah, that, or whatever, yeah, you know, exactly. that's that's yes. the only thing you have to worry about for sure. Or you see a, a cicada shell and you're just yeah. is is that a actual cicada? You're like creeping up to it and it just is the shell. But no, I don't I don't mind cicadas. But it sounds like at least in parts of Indiana, there's going to be a hell of a lot of them soon. Yes, yes. So be prepared, and we'll give you the details on the cicada apocalypse coming up at the end of the show. Four six eight six two is how you reach us on the text line. 46862. And we have a four pack of tickets for the Comets who returned to the Coliseum finally this weekend. And they play the Cyclones coming up on Friday night. That will be uh, their first of two games this weekend at the Coliseum. And we have a four pack of tickets for that game. So uh, just text Cyclones to 46862. Again, Cyclones to 46862. And uh, you'll be in the running for that four-pack of Comets tickets. We'll give it away at the end of the show. So make sure you get your entries in early and often, as we like to say, on the show. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380thefan mobile app. That is free to download or on your smart speaker as well. Okay, let's get to headlines. And the numbers are in, and we thought, oh, just a delay in the TV ratings for the AFC Championship game. Maybe the numbers weren't as good. At least that's what we thought. We were we nope, were wrong. We were wrong. We were completely wrong. In fact, uh, record numbers. Most watched AFC Championship game ever. 55.47 million viewers. Peaked at 64 million. Uh, yeah. The numbers just continue just, to just be wild. absurd. Absolutely. Um, 
has, has been stupid numbers for the NFL. And everybody tuned in, everybody watched, and it'll be at least double that for the Super Bowl. Oh, yes. No, no doubt, for sure. So massive numbers for the AFC uh, championship game. Also, there were massive numbers for the NFC championship game. And I, I think every other sport would be happy to get those numbers, let alone the Super Bowl. But uh, that's where we're at. Um, coordinator moves in the NFL. Well, a lack of a move for the Lions OC, Ben Johnson. He will stay with Detroit. He was kind of a trendy pick to potentially be a coach somewhere. But I think uh, there's some unfinished business for Ben Johnson in Detroit. And I'm sure a fair amount of people feel that way. So the Seattle Seahawks were interested in Ben in Ben Johnson. Washington Commanders were interested in Ben Johnson. Sounds as if he will return to Detroit to try and get the Lions over the hump next season. So they will do their best to uh, try to get back to where they were last year. Um, I'll be surprised, to be honest. Will you? If they can do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good team, but it's just so hard in the NFL. A lot it's of things so have to difficult. go right. A lot of things have to go right, and I'm not ready to put the Lions in that perennial contender status like we do with Kansas City and uh, San Francisco and, and Baltimore and, and Buffalo, for that matter. Um, they have to prove that. And I don't know if this team... It's its good. It's a good team. I just don't know if it can be a perennial contender in the NFC. It's in the right It's in the right conference, but we'll see if they can continue it long-term. Meanwhile, uh, Sean Payton getting his longtime OC back as the Broncos set to reunite with Pete Carmichael Jr. Uh, joining Sean Payton, so... It's just two weeks after his exit as the Saints offensive coordinator set to reunite with Sean Payton. Not really a surprise move there. Who will be their quarterback? Great question. Mm. We'll see who Denver uh, puts out there yeah. for QB1 next year. <laughs> that is one it of the biggest like questions it's going to be Russell Wilson. And the Falcons have named Zach Robinson their next offensive coordinator. Also. He joins Raheem Morris. They also. work together uh, in L.A. with the Rams. And questions a quarterback in Atlanta too, on who their QB one will be. So they should draft a quarterback. They should. Gosh, where do they pick? Do they pick in the top ten? They pick in the top. Yeah, I think they're close to the top ten. Um. So yeah, can they take one? Uh, a difference making one where they pick. Uh, they probably should. But then again, are they scared off by by Desmond Ritter? Um, and doing that. <laughs> In terms of taking him, they pick eighth, which is just around draft hell if you're trying to get a really good quarterback in this draft because you look at Caleb Williams and Drake May as one-two, you throw Jaden Daniels in there, and then who? Yeah, then you is have Michael Penix? Bo Nix. Yeah, so I, I just, they're not high enough to take maybe one of the elite guys, um, but I could imagine that uh, maybe they make a push to either move up or trade down and, and, and take Penix a little bit later, but we'll see what the Atlanta Falcons do. Meanwhile, we move on out of the NFL and, or, or excuse me, well, out of NFL headlines to the Colts as 
The Colts get some pro bowlers, some alternates named pro bowlers. Ryan Kelly at center, DeForest Buckner at defensive tackle, and Gardner Minshew at quarterback. Just shows you the absurdity that is the Pro Bowl. Yeah. To me. I congrats to all of them. All of that and and Zaya Franklin didn't make the Pro Bowl, which still is puzzling, right? Very. But Minshew making it after a just, you know, monster season for the Colts. I say that sarcastically. Fifteen <laughs> touchdowns, nine picks, thirty three hundred yards, sixty two percent of his passes, not even his best year. In the NFL, in fact, it's his third best year statistically. So, yeah, it is what it is between guys in the Super Bowl that aren't playing and several guys backing out due to injuries or quote unquote injuries. Is um, it just waters down the Pro Bowl, and uh, I think it's a it's a good event for the people that watch it. Plenty of people watch, but uh, All Pro is really the judge that I put on elite players in the NFL, not the Pro Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it's the thing that actually matters, and perhaps if the NFL moved the Pro Bowl back to Hawaii, there'd be more interest. I don't know, just saying, and put it after the Super Bowl? I don't know. You at least get potential Super Bowl players yeah. in it. Yeah, I, and I think they should let players who maybe like don't want to play but still you know, participate, if still you will. Still go, yeah. That would be interesting. Uh, massive news in Major League Baseball, the Orioles are preparing for private equity control. Uh, the Angelos family selling the team to two private equity billionaires, David Rubenstein and Mike Arigetti, for $1.725 billion. Cal Ripken Jr. also said to be part of this deal. It's a lot of money. It is a lot. And this is one of those things where you wonder, you know, we, we've had talk of private equity in college sports. Well, we're getting it right now in professional sports as we speak. We are. Um it- Oh, as Angelos owned the Orioles since the what the early '90s, and did a lot of of big things, uh, of course, with with um, Camden Yards and all that stuff. But uh, they've been notoriously cheap over the last several years. Baltimore has not had a payroll ranked higher than 27th to start a season since 2018, and they have a good young core. They proved it last year. In terms of the regular season, they won the AL East, right? And yeah. but couldn't perform in the playoffs. So you look at Jackson Holiday, who is considered widely considered the top prospect in baseball at shortstop. So a lot of positive things at Baltimore. They just need somebody that's going to invest more capital in that payroll. And we'll see if this new organization, this new ownership group can do that. I will be curious how this plays out because it does not seem to me to be the the best option for no? fans and competition. I mean, private equity just wants to suck the money out of everything, right? So usually, how is yes. that going to lead to wins when it comes to on the field? Well, we definitely will see because it's not like Baltimore is a bum per- team right now. They no. are playing really good baseball. Won the won the East last year, so. We'll see how this new ownership group impacts that side of things. Meanwhile, we move forward to college football, University of Tennessee, and this is across really college sports. Under NCAA investigation for violations related to NIL, um, Tennessee, again, off an investigation summer of last year where they got 18 level one violations and a record $8 million fine. Well, this is involving several sports, fundamentally tied to football, though, 
Uh, but the Spire Sports Group, which is Tennessee's NIL collective, their primary NIL collective is uh, involved in their activity. So that's where this case centers around. So this is a big deal. We recently had Florida and Florida State with uh, cases of NIL violations, and this one seems to be the biggest of them all. Well, it's tough to say, you know, Tennessee under investigate because it's a lot of these instances that are popping up are based on the NIL collectives. But they're they're university right. affiliates. They're affiliated with the university. The problem is, I think the universities have to make a a a greater step forward in controlling these NIL collectives, which is what the NCA is proposing to happen. Correct. So I think you're seeing a lot of these outside entities that are making lucrative deals with the universities, or at least the programs, that are are basically um, trying to, to to skirt the rules and 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 not very upstanding. And I know upstanding and NIL collectives aren't said in the same sentences very much, but I think that's the direction you're going. Is when you look at Florida and you look at Tennessee, these are collectives that aren't necessarily run by the universities. They're run by outside entities that are affiliated with the universities, and that's a problem. And I think eventually you're going to see these these uh, these programs control the NIL collectives that they're affiliated with. And that's the step that I think needs to happen to ensure that everything is is done in house, and you don't have these outside collectives. Even if you have like the affiliated one, like in this case, it still seems to me there there are too many things that could pop up. Uh, Tennessee. Denying the allegations, and in fact, Tennessee Chancellor Donde Plowman said they're factually untrue and procedurally flawed. Hmm. Sent a letter to NCA President Charlie Baker. So, all right, well, pretty big, strong statement. Big words doesn't necessarily mean you're innocent. <laughs> Correct. And last night in the NBA, the Indiana Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton returned. Uh, he was limited minutes wise. Didn't play in the fourth quarter. And you could see him agonizing on the bench. The Pacers actually rallied back in this game, cut it to three uh, late, had a late run, but unable to get the win in Boston, losing 129-124. Aaron Neesmith, a a big game, 26 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, a tying career high for him, 23 for Pascal Siakam. Halliburton in his return, 13 points, 10 assists, which is 5 of 16 from the field, obviously still rusty, and again, only played 22 minutes. So, um, hopefully, he gets back to full health. I mean, this this is a game that the Pacers were in for a while. Boston would make a play, though, every time the Pacers got close, and that included at the end of the game. Well, you fall down double digits in the opening quarter, and they were just playing ch- you know catch up the rest of the way for the Pacers. And up till last night, they've been the Pacers have been really good against the top teams in the East. We've talked about this several times, and last night was an opportunity to go on the road and knock off Boston, another marquee win against a, a top team in the East, and weren't able to do it. Do you think that Tyrese Halliburton is it rust? And this is tough to say after one game. Is it rust, or is it rushing back to try to not miss enough games to lose that forty-one million dollars? I, I think it is. Rust because he already tried to come back. Remember during the stretch and right. and then seemed like he kind of tweaked the hamstring a little bit and then sat out a few more games. Now he's back. I, I just think it's rust and they're putting him on that minutes restriction to make sure that he's not pushing himself too much, which is funny because I mean, if you're playing, then you're pushing yourself. <laughs> um, I, the Pacers will, I, I think he'll be okay. I think 
barring another injury, knock on wood, like he'll be okay. I, I just think this felt like rust where you're kind of forcing shots coming back and um, that's that's why he had the game. But yet again, I mean, still had a double-double. Yeah, double-double and you know, missing Benedict Matherin last night too, I think was pivotal. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And it doesn't help when the Celtics were just unbelievable from three. And it seemed like every time they were shooting a three, they made it. Uh, they were 17 of 36. You're not winning NBA <laughs> games when the other team is 17 of 36 from three, nearly 50%. Uh, yeah, pretty wild. Uh, the Pacers shot 12 of 39, which isn't bad. But, but bad compared. Bad compared, for sure. So we'll see the Pacers can bounce back. But I mean, didn't get blown off the court. Uh, Boston made some plays defensively, in particular, late in this game. Uh, Jason Tatum was was huge all game. So uh, we'll see if the Pacers can bounce back. And the Pacers also got news yesterday before the game. Benedict Mather and Oscar Shibway named to the Rising Stars game on All-Star Weekend. So congrats to both of them. And one other NBA note. The Steph Curry versus Sabrina Ionescu on All-Star Saturday night is official. Curry will shoot from the NBA three-point line with NBA basketballs. And Ionescu will shoot from the WNBA three-point line with WNBA basketballs. They will have uh, a three-point shootout. All right. So that's pretty cool. Let's go. So All-Star weekend just a couple weeks away. Yeah, down in Indy. So pretty exciting. 46862. Again, your text line number 46862. Uh, text coming in, Holiday Brown and White are elite defensive guards. It's always going to be a tough game to come back. No worries. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, Drew Holiday upgraded them defensively so much, and that was, it kind of felt like one of the things they were missing. Right. It's just like a tough defensive-minded player, which Milwaukee's lost, Boston's gain. Go figure. Uh, also, Boston is really good at home. They, they have just two losses at home on the season. Ooh. So they are dominant at home so far. The TD Garden has been very kind yes. to the Boston Celtics. Very much so. This season. This season. Derek White was tremendous yes, yesterday, was. too. And the texts are mentioning him about defensively, but he was huge on both ends of the floor yesterday for the Celtics. Meanwhile, the Tin Caps have announced their staff for the upcoming season. And once again, a change at manager. Jonathan Matthews out. And Mike Daly in. He is the director of player personnel for the San Diego Padres. He will remain in that role with the Padres naming him the Tin Caps manager as well for this, uh, or excuse me, he's the assistant director, uh, but he's been in that role since fall of 2021. Um, but he will lead the staff. Jonathan Matthews, meanwhile, uh, promoted to a minor league hitting coordinator for the Padres. My understanding is he gets to stay at his home base of Iowa and then travel around, which I'm sure was appealing part of yes, that role. Very much so. Mike Daly, he's not a career baseball manager. He's not like he's worked through the pipeline. He's basically been more of a front office guy for the for the Padres for a long time and now has kind of always wanted that opportunity to manage a team and he'll get a chance at age 45 to do that with the Tin Caps. He's been involved in every department within baseball operations, major league operations, amateur, international, professional scouting, oversaw the minor league and player development department for the Padres. So he's always been looking over the organization at the minor league levels, but never has been a dugout guy in terms of a manager. He gets the opportunity and we'll see how it goes for Mike Daly with the tin caps this summer. Elsewhere on the staff, pitching coach Thomas Eshelman, 
Uh, he's just 29 years old. Uh, he pitched in 31 MLB regular season games for the Orioles from 2019 to 2021. Also finished his pitching career in the Padres organization in 2022. Uh, Jed Morris, uh, also on staff, he is the hitting coach. Uh, Big 12 Conference Player of the Year in 2002 with Nebraska. Helped lead the Huskers to consecutive men's college World Series appearances in 2001 and 2002. Drafted by the Oakland A's in 2002, 36th round, their money ball season. Uh, as we, we know about the A's, uh, he had a leukemia diagnosis that interrupted his career, but he played nine seasons professionally. Uh, advanced up to double A, so he worked at Division Three Eastern University in Pennsylvania for five years, minor league coach since uh, after the 2018 season for the Padres since, including last year with the Lake Elsinore Storm. And the bench coach, Ginaldo Pozo. He returns to the Tin Caps for a third stint. Uh, he's from the Dominican Republic, appeared in six games as a Tin Cap back in 2011 uh, as part of a six-year pro playing career from 2007 to 2012. He was the bench coach in 2002. Uh, last year, same role with Lake Elsinore. You know, it's getting close when the Tin Caps announce their coaches for the upcoming season. We only have to wait a little over two months until the start of the season. Tin Caps will begin their 2024 season on the road Friday, April 5th, and opening day at Parkview Field scheduled for Tuesday, April 9th against the Lake County Captains. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. If you have thoughts on Indiana's win last night, we're going to talk about it next. IU escapes Iowa and an unlikely hero last night for the Hoosiers. That's coming up. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. It was the Anthony Leal game last night at Simon Scott Assembly Hall as the Hoosiers hold off. The Iowa Hawkeyes in a game that went from a blowout to what looked to be a potential choke job. And then of all the players, Leal, Gabe Cups making big plays Just at the, the end of this game. Yes. IU of Hoosiers <laughs> coming up big. But Anthony Leal, a career high 13 points. Uh, f- to put it in perspective, he had only scored 14 points prior on the season. And. More questions we'll probably ask about this moving forward, but Gabe Cups had a huge three with under two minutes to play as well. Uh, and this, those are the positives for this game. IU gets a win, and they do so. Malik Renew went down after stepping on an Iowa defender's foot. Looked like he rolled his ankle uh, on that play. That happened in the first half. That was a big loss. Then Xavier Johnson going up for a dunk attempt late in the game. That looked bad and yes. sounded bad because he was in pain and audibly showing his pain. Uh, you don't want to speculate, but that seems like quite an injury. Yes. Based on X's reaction. Yes, and based on just kind of the the vibes you got, like that felt like that was a career-ending injury for him, at, at least, least at Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know if he'd be eligible to get another waiver, right? I mean, this was already his sixth season. Yeah, I I'd be surprised. Coming. That felt like it was it. And, you know, it was a very up and down career, right? We'll always have what he did in the 2022 Big Ten tournament, right? Where we saw kind of the peak of his potential. But you also had what happened this season, the injuries combined with just puzzling play and 
it's just unfortunate that that's the way it looks like it was going to end for Xavier Johnson. Especially with the way he was going out, that was something that IU, you don't see, haven't seen very often all season, is just taking it right to the basket and trying to finish, and that's exactly what Xavier Johnson was trying to do. And uh, Iowa defender went up for a potential block, and it wasn't on the the right arm, it was the left arm as it came down and was trying to support him and uh, just didn't look good. It was something with the forearm it looked like, but... Uh, the Hoosiers pulled off. This isn't a game where you look back and I'll say, okay, this is where the season changed. I don't think anything changes, but I will give Indiana credit. When you don't have Malik Renew and you don't, what, I cannot talk this morning. <laughs> Malik Renew played, what, two minutes, three minutes, and then was out. Yes. And IU still was able to build a lead by his, of as many as 17 in the first half. So I'll credit them that. Then you lose Xavier Johnson. And while we have been openly critical of Xavier Johnson, you did see the impact of losing him on the bench of Indiana. It, it definitely affected them. But being able to make the plays, even after Iowa went ahead, and you give credit to Anthony Leal, you give credit to Gabe Cups, and it was a gritty, gutsy, all the cliches win for Indiana. Plus 13 on the rebounding? That barely happens for Indiana. No. So... It was one of those nights that you felt good about Indiana in getting the win with the circumstances, especially with who came up big with Leal and then Cups and the team hitting eight threes, which is like a normal team hitting like 30 threes in a game. (laughs) Eight of 22 from three. You got to remember they they went 0 for 9 in their previous game. So they hit six threes in the game before that. So, I, I mean, they just more than you know, what they, they had done in the previous two games. This is what they should be doing. I mean, and the thing is, you look at the lineup that they're going to have moving forward, and you assume you're going to be out. Malik Renew is going to be out for a little bit. I don't think it's going to be a long-term injury, right? But it could be a week or two. Um, Khalil Ware was banged up in the game, but he still had 23 points and 10 rebounds, uh, three blocks, auto-block shots for IU. In fact, they had eight of them in this game. Um, he was limping around after coming back from an ankle injury, but three-point shooting is probably going to be more of a factor because they're going to be playing a lot more guards than they would have before. They're going to have to go smaller. I, I think the question is, and, and I don't know the answer here, is do you look at Anthony Leal and say, well, he should have been on the floor more this season, or do you look at Anthony Leal and he's saying, okay, finally it's all clicking? Because I, I don't know what the answer is. I still feel like he should have been on the floor more because remember, it's not like this was the first game he had played this year. He'd played in a handful of other games. Yes, he wasn't scoring like he was last night. And that was the the difference for Indiana in this game. But he was providing them quality minutes when he played earlier in the season. Like, it wasn't like a, a, a freshman, you know, getting minutes. And, and because they're a freshman, they have a good start. And then they, they trail off. Like, he was giving them quality minutes, whether it was effort defensively, right? Being in the right spot. Leading the, the team, clearly a guy, Mike Woodson always says he brings it in practice. He's a true pro in the sense that he you know, does his job and shows up all the time. My question is, why did this take Mike Woodson two and a half years to unlock the potential here? Well, because that's, yeah, that's the... That, that, that's the ultimate question I have with this because Anthony Leal like, is capable of this. I'm not saying he's capable of this every single game, but... He's a guy who can give you quality minutes. The, the minutes he gave Indiana last night, 
The only thing that changed from what he did earlier in the season is that he was scoring more points. That's right. it. Otherwise, he was giving them quality minutes before. So I guess I just don't understand why it took so long for Leal to get this kind of run. And I get it between X going down, but that was later in the game. Gabe Cups was limited minutes wise. And, and Renew goes out. Yeah. Ware's still not 100%. So there, there are a lot of factors that compounded in the same game. I understand that. But when you look at what Leal did, when he played before, he's a steady ball handler. He, he is more of a threat offensively than Gabe Cups, right? I mean, Gabe Cups is afraid to shoot the ball. Leal was pulling the trigger because he was open. They were leaving him open, and he was making shots. So I just don't understand why it took two and a half years for Mike Woodson to get a game like this out of Anthony Leal. I guess that, that was my biggest takeaway from the game last night outside, of course, the injuries. Not only was this the most minutes that Anthony Leal had played in 22 minutes, it's only the ninth game he's even seen the floor this season which is pretty astounding to me. He's shooting, let's see, four of six, five of seven from three. No, wait. Yes. Five of seven from three for the season, including three of four last night. And I'm with you in terms of why did it take so long? Now, I don't think you're going to see 13 and seven every night from Anthony Leo if you play him 22 minutes. I mean, against Illinois, he played 16 minutes and had two points, two rebounds. But he was still energetic and gave you something off the bench and there's been plenty of instances not just this season but the previous couple seasons where you say who can come off the bench and give this team some life and Anthony Leal has kind of always been pointed to as that guy that was disappointing and not coming through in his development but was it purely just the fact that he did was not given the opportunity sure feels like it doesn't it and again when he played spot minutes earlier in the season he was not detracting from what was on the floor he was an addition, not a subtraction. So uh, to me, and I'm not saying he needs to be playing 15, 20 minutes. You know, he played 22 last night. That's that's not the point of this. This is a guy who should be playing 10, 15 minutes a game, though, and, and be given that opportunity. And as a senior, right, we talked all the time about leadership on this team and who knows what was happening behind the scenes. But he got a, a chance to show something on the court finally last night as far as being a, a, a senior leader and, and come through, and that felt big. And, and, and it was also nice that he was able to do something and not be a waste of a scholarship, as you like to refer to it as. <laughs> Just saying that. You said you are going to go after me yep. about that. Yep. For sure. Well, you could say he was a waste of a scholarship in the way that Mike Woodson was or was not using him. As Mike Woodson learned that Anthony Leo can be somebody of value off the bench consistently. And I think we'll see. We've seen it over the last two games. Four of the last five games that he's seen action in, he's played double-digit minutes. But he's only played in five Big Ten games, which is astounding. He's only played in half of the Big Ten games, effectively, for Indiana so far. Does he become, even if Xavier Johnson comes back and Malik Renew comes back, he should still be in heavy rotation in terms of getting minutes. At the very least... You have a guy that can make shots from the outside. And you saw it last night that Iowa was basically looking at it and saying, you know what, we're not even going to guard the three. Indiana can't make them. Or they're just not going to take them. And Indiana did, made made eight of them. And big ones by Anthony Leal. The big one, of course, late by Gabe Cups. It's amazing what can happen when you can hit 
shots on the outside. I want to compare it to a former IU player, Tamar Bates, who never put it together at Indiana um, in, in his two seasons there. Guy who came in with quite a bit of hype. And I understand. I mean, Bates came in with more hype. Leal was an Indiana Mr. Basketball, though. It's not like he couldn't play. Right. Yes, he, he was from Bloomington, so he's a hometown kid. He wasn't going to leave. But Tamar Bates is putting together an incredible season this year for Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Shooting 55%, nearly 46% from three. 94% from the foul line, averaging 13 a game. Why could Mike Woodson not get the most out of a guy like Tamar Bates? And, and it almost feels like now, again, I'm not saying Anthony Leal is going to turn into a 13-point-per-game score, but it, it just felt like he never even gave Leal the chance until last night. Tamar Bates at least had chances. Right. But this just feels like a, a situation where Woodson, perhaps one of his weaknesses is developing guards. Is that maybe something that's at play with Indiana and why IU has struggled so much is just he's not been good at developing guards. Well, we'll see if this is a trend that can continue with Leo. He has looked solid back-to-back games, but last night was was his biggest game offensively, obviously. And we'll see if that can continue into Penn State and Ohio State. We await you know news on on Xavier Johnson. Like I said, it, it did not look good. How he reacted wasn't good. And wouldn't be surprised if he's done for the season. Uh, Malik Renew, a different story. But the fact that Indiana was able to pull this game out, and, and I will say it showed it showed moxie, it showed effort. It was it was hit with adversity, first with Renew and then Xavier Johnson, and then falling behind um could have with that insane shot off the inbounds in the corner yeah. that gave Iowa the lead. You felt like the way this game was going, losing two starters, blowing a 17-point lead, Indiana's so going to lose this game. And they were able to pull it out. And that doesn't say anything about the long-term potential of this team. It, to me, I'm not saying all of a sudden this is the turnaround and this is this, that, and the other. It's one game, but I think we can be impressed with how Indiana was able to pull it off last night despite everything going against them. Okay, so you mentioned moxie, effort. Yes. Adversity. Yep. yep. All three. I'm going to throw, throw in grit just to make okay. sure we covered. Grit. Yep. We got all covered all, all our bases. All the bases this there morning on there. Um, it, one other takeaway: Mike Woodson finally beat Iowa. <laughs> wow. See, <laughs> couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. So this again, like you said, I agree. This win doesn't mean anything in terms of you know tournament resume and all of those things, but. Because of what they did last night in a game that they would typically lose, especially this season, with how they played, maybe this represents a step forward and maybe Anthony Leal could be a piece moving forward. A text on Leal props to him, uh, though, for being a senior and being ready when his number is called. Nobody better on that team to root for in a moment like that. I think that's the biggest thing. It's just he finally had his moment, right? And he couldn't keep the smile off his face. Of every three he hit... He uh, had a smile on his face. Uh, CK McKenzie and Baco was limited in minutes earlier in the season because he wasn't doing his job. He now gets the minutes because he now is doing his job. Same for Leo. He isn't getting minutes for the same reason. Come on, we do not see behind the scenes. Well, I do see in front of the scenes, and I see Xavier Johnson acted, acting a full time and again, and he continues to get opportunities. Yes. So I'm sorry I can't judge based on what's going on behind the scenes because it's a cluster what's going on in front of us. And... Mike Woodson's never said anything negative, to my knowledge, about Anthony Leal as far as what he does in practice, I mean, his preparation. all the time. Yeah. So that's the but part that's just puzzling. Him. And now he had to play him last night, and look what happened. 
Someone else saying NIL commitments to players promising playing time in order to get them to come is the reason Leal hasn't got more playing time. Well, and maybe Mike Woodson and IU need, needs to eh, rethink. I don't know about things like that. About that stuff. Now, Mbako has improved tremendously from where he was at the start of the year when he wouldn't play any defense. Right. And now he's not a detriment on the defensive end. And offensively, he's growing leaps and bounds seemingly every game. Yeah, he just uh, continues to to get more and more effective for sure. But it was a it was a gritty win. Uh, yeah, using another of those keywords, using a gritty win for for Indiana last night. It doesn't change the prospects going forward to the final ten games of the regular season or whatever's left. Um, but it it would have been disastrous to lose that game. That's for sure. That said, and Dylan Sin made the point yesterday. And I think maybe we continue to gloss over it fairly or unfairly is you don't use that 13 scholarship and then you lose Jukai Newton for the entire season. Yeah. A guy that was supposed to give you back backcourt depth and you're basically playing with 11 scholarship players. Now you've had Khalil Ware out at times. He played last night. You have Xavier Johnson out at times. He seems to set to be out again. It's a shorthanded basketball team for sure. It's not excusing the fact that they're, where they're at in the standings and overall record, but it's it's somewhat a re. I mean, you look at Purdue and, and not trying to compare Purdue and Indiana in terms of the basketball teams because Purdue is so much better. But Purdue hasn't had a single inter- injury of consequence this season. Another reason why, if I'm a Purdue fan, I start getting nervous because everything has gone right. Right when you could say for Indiana, injuries started before the season with Jakai Newton, and they've been a struggle throughout the majority of the regular season. I don't like your negative energy. We're going to move on. Uh, Notre Me, Dame, negative yeah, energy? Yeah. That never happens I don't like on your negative show. energy. Never. Why did you have to say something like that? <laughs> like, why, why are you this way? Why? why uh, you sound like my wife. <laughs> why are you who you are? <laughs> We're going to move on. Uh, speaking of injuries, since you, you had to bring that up, uh, Notre Dame at quarterback, well, it's going to be an interesting winter. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you can text Cyclones to 46862. Again, Cyclones to 46862. See the Comets and Cincinnati coming up Friday night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 8 o'clock. We have a four-pack to give away, so Cyclones to 46862. You'll be entered to win that four-pack. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. Cyclones, so, 46862. So the uh, PFW Suite tickets, by the way, congrats to Drew, who won yesterday. Hey, hey. So he will be seeing the Dons coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum. So busy, busy time at the Coliseum. You have Mastodons tomorrow night, Comets Friday night, and Comets Sunday afternoon, because it's a 5 o'clock puck drop. Yes, we've established that, <laughs> 5 o'clock. Somebody had the audacity a couple days ago to wish me <laughs> a good evening at 5.56. And I purposely did not respond until <laughs> after six o'clock because that is not evening. Was it someone who knew about our uh, rate no, on the show? No, I don't show? think so. I don't think so. Uh, but no, it was five fifty-six. He messaged me, said evening, and I'm like, I'm not responding to this till after six <laughs> o'clock because it's not evening yet. For the record, we believe that uh, any time before six o'clock, you know, is afternoon. If it's you know after noon. Yes. So 12.01 to 5.59 is afternoon. Yes. We've, we've talked about this. Evening starts at 6 o'clock, and 
you will not change our mind. No, you will not. Anyway, so a Sunday afternoon game for the K's. Yes. Face off at five o'clock on Friday, on Sunday. Yes, but the tickets are for Friday night. Again, Comets, Cyclones, Puck Drop, eight o'clock at night. <laughs> not 8 a.m. On Friday night. Yes. Four pack. Text Cyclones to 46862. You'll be entered to win those tickets. Okay, up in South Bend, Notre Dame got some disappointing news yesterday. Transfer quarterback Riley Leonard expected to be out six to eight weeks. He had the tightrope uh, procedure on his ankle, on that right ankle that was injured at the end of the Notre Dame-Duke game last September. So he is still expected to be a full participant in spring practice. The blue-gold game set for April 20th, so the Indy spring game, plenty of time for him to come back for that no date on the start of spring practice, but this is interesting in the sense that if there was any chance that Steve Angeli was going to push Riley Leonard, he got a little bit like the slimmest of advantage now. He does, and I mean, he had the the benefit of playing in the bowl game and looking good in the bowl game for for whatever that's worth against a, a admittedly uh, shorthanded Oregon State team that didn't look like they even wanted to be there. But at least this didn't happen during the season, but it's also crucial that Riley Leonard is out because he's coming in, obviously, as a transfer and needs to learn the offense and get reps and all that stuff even before the spring, and now he's not going to be able to do that. Is he going to be healthy for spring practice? Even that's a question, and I think it is important while you look at it and say, well, there's plenty of time before the start of the season, obviously. It is frustrating in the sense that Riley Leonard is going to be sidelined for the better part of two months uh, post uh, this injury, but it's a guy that has had a rough year for the expectations that Duke had. And when Riley Leonard was healthy, he was very good. But the fact that after he got hurt and that uh, injury happened against Notre Dame, final play of the game. Yeah, it was Howard Cross coming back on that ankle, and that's the ankle that that Riley Leonard is getting, getting surgery on. After that, it was just a struggle and. I think this is the, the hope for Riley Leonard in Notre Dame is that they can hit reset and he can come back fully healthy and be ready for the season. But at the same time, you want your probably your QB one to start the season as healthy as possible throughout the offseason to learn and, and, and get reps and build rapport. And that's just not going to be the situation in South Bend with Riley Leonard for the foreseeable future. So Riley Leonard out for some time. Steve Angeli, look, Riley Leonard, as you mentioned, has battled injuries and that ankle being the the key part of it last season. I mean, you at least stick around through the spring and and as he is and and see what you can do because this just opened another window for him. And if you're Notre Dame, do you try everything you can to get Angeli to stay, knowing that I think he does stay. I think regardless. I I think this news helps. Mm-hmm. But I think Steve Angeli, what he proved in the bowl game, whether you 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 take it take a lot of it in as a, a, a great performance or playing a team that was disinterested in being there, I think Steve Angeli is fully invested in Notre Dame because I think he sees the potential of him seeing the the field in a significant amount of time in uh, the upcoming season because he's at least put himself on the radar. He has tangible production that he's been able to do on the field to say, hey, he could potentially be uh, this team's quarterback for the fall. Well, he'll be a junior next year, so he'd still have another year. Like, does he stick around? Because the other thing is, there's always guys under you, right? 
CJ Carr, for example, right, has a lot of hype. A lot of people just expect he's going to sit this season and be the guy after that moving forward. But this is a chance for him. And look, Notre Dame has a history of backup quarterbacks becoming starters for most of a season right. over the last decade. I mean, you can you can go back to Deshaun Kaiser over Malik Zaire. You can go back to Ian Book over a largely ineffective Brandon Wimbush um, and look at the career he had. Obviously, right. Drew Pine getting a start over Tyler Buckner after a couple games. Um, the list goes on and on. So there's that window of opportunity seemingly every year because quarterbacks get hurt. I mean, even Tommy Reese. Yeah, Tommy Reese. And Dane Chris got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, really kind of came. He, he, he ascended to the QB1 role. Dane Christ when Dane Chris got hurt and then Tommy Reese ended up winning the job the year after over Everett Golson. So yeah, it's a long line of it. And I think Steve Angeli is probably seeing all those instances, probably being told about those instances and saying, just because we brought in a grad transfer doesn't mean that you can't compete for this job. And I do think that Steve Angeli has a, has a more probable chance of being QB one than a lot of people want to give him credit for because of the bowl game that he had. Is it indicative of the season he can have in 2024? I don't think so, but it does at least give pause to the coaching staff and say, he went out there and performed throwing for 232 yards and three touchdowns in a route. And who's to say he can't be the guy when Notre Dame goes to college station to take on Texas A&M to start the season. I don't think it is, but it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. No, not with how he played in the bowl game, his command of the offense during the season, and just the fact that he's been in the system for several years, and I get it, it's a new offensive coordinator, so there's going to be some changes, but he's there, he's experienced, it's a different environment, and he's used to it, and I'm sure he'll have the support of his teammates as well. He's definitely uh, a... a- a favorite of the teammates for sure. He's just, you root for a guy like that in the world of NIL and transferring on a whim. And anytime you're not in a position you feel you deserve, it's, it's transfer somewhere else. And Steve Angeli, I said it before the bowl game, he's been a good soldier for Notre Dame and he got the opportunity, made the best of it. And now with Riley Leonard's injury, Steve Angeli has two months to work and, and get snaps and uh, build rapport with 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 offseason workouts and stuff that could pay off a long way. Make no mistake. I mean, Riley Leonard isn't as as established of a quarterback than uh, than you look at at Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman was bona fide coming in the number one guy because of what he had done at Wake Forest. Riley Leonard's had one really good year at Duke and had trouble staying healthy like this past year. So Riley Leonard isn't as sure of a thing at QB1 as Sam Harpin was. 2022 was amazing for Riley Leonard. But even then, the amazing season was 20 touchdown passes. That's not a lot of touchdown passes, okay? So it's not a guarantee that Riley Leonard is your QB1, even if healthy. And that's something to keep in mind is spring practice, again, is the the next part of the conversation uh, here in a couple months. Coming up on the other side, uh, in fact, just looked up at the TV, Kaleo wears dunk at the end of the Iowa game. Top play on Sports Center. It was a highlight reel play, and it was a big game for Indiana in the win, but 
Is IU doing enough to stay on the bubble? We'll talk about that in their future with a lot of injuries now to think about in the equation. That's next as we kick off hour number two. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Uh, just put in CK before your message. Also, you can text Cyclones to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the Comets and Cincinnati. Friday night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 8 o'clock in that one. So again, just text Cyclones to 46862. This hour on the show, IU continues to do just enough to stay on the bubble. But do they have staying power there? Plus, Matt Painter speaks on Braden Smith's award snub and Tom Brady. The narrative around his career, right? We all know sixth round draft pick, overcoming odds, winning a Super Bowl early on, and then going on to become the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, he has a different career narrative that he shared yesterday on the Pat McAfee show. We'll play what Brady had to say, and we'll start the debate over... (laughs) NFL color commentators for 2024 because there's an interesting uh, discussion to be had there. And before we leave you at the end of the show, the cicada apocalypse is coming. It's coming. Get ready, folks. And it's coming to Indiana now. Maybe not Northeast Indiana, but it's coming to Indiana. Yes. So we'll, we'll give you the details on this. This is a once in over 200 year event. Anytime, you know, I think in years past, they've had the 17 year events, right? Well, this is way bigger and it's an intersection of two different cicada broods. We'll explain what's going on after 8.50. Get you ready for the cicada apocalypse yes. this summer. It's not necessarily a plague. No. But close. Yes. So cicadas, that's all to come. Cicadas are coming. This hour on the show, don't forget, you can always listen to us via the stream, 1380thfan.com. Just click listen live on the website. Obviously, that's free. Obviously, also, the mobile app is free. Free for you to download, free for you to listen. Uh, Download that on your app store, or you can listen in for free on your smart speaker. And if you miss anything in hour number one of the show, you can always catch up on the podcast. Just look for it uh, each and every morning around 11 o'clock. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, you can find us on those podcasting platforms. You know, we talked about yesterday about the top three teams in college basketball that we feel are cut above everybody else, UConn, Purdue, and Houston. Yes. And you looked at North Carolina. Yeah, as losing maybe, to Georgia yes. Tech. We were talking about North Carolina maybe making that run. Well, they lost to Georgia Tech last night. It's the last big six program that had yet to lose a game in conference play. Wow. Was the, uh, the Tar Heels and Nathan George, freshman for Georgia Tech, scoring with seven seconds to go. And then the Yellow Jackets getting the stop to beat North Carolina. So Tennessee also lost last night. Another team I probably did see in that, that conversation for a one seed. Yes. So it was South Carolina that beat them, I do believe. Yes. So some 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 upsets last night that I think forwarded the narrative that there are three teams above everyone else right now in college basketball. Well, and much like the Big Ten has Purdue and then a step below Wisconsin and Illinois, and then just a bunch of teams. The ACC seems to be North Carolina and Duke in a bunch of teams. And and you could say, well, it's always been that way. Well, no, it really is. They have a lot of separation. And I wouldn't necessarily say North Carolina and Duke are as strong this year either. 
It's just it, it's it traditionally is a, are, yeah. a down year for that conference, and it's been a few down years in a row, honestly, for that conference. Yes, it has. And you look at, at elsewhere, I mean, Virginia, I mean, they're good, but they're not quote-unquote typical Virginia, no, right? No, And then after that, you're like, what is it, NC Clemson, State maybe? NC State, I mean, those yeah. are the other teams. It's like, ugh. So the ACC, uh, very much... Similar to the Big Ten in that it doesn't have the depth that it traditionally does. Carolina, of course, may have been looking ahead a little bit to Duke as they play the Blue Devils later on this week. Yes, big game coming up this weekend. So, from teams solidly in the field to a team solidly out of the field, and that's Indiana. IU gets a win over Iowa last night, 74-68. to Anthony Leal, career high, 13 points to lead the Hoosiers, 3-4 of four for Three, but the bigger storyline coming out of it, unfortunately, Xavier Johnson injured coming down after a dunk attempt, uh, and he was out late in the game. Malik Renew injured first half of the game, only played three minutes. Uh, he stepped on an Iowa defender's foot, likely rolled his ankle. We'll get an update, hopefully, on both players today. Renew, probably a week or two. Uh, Johnson does not look very promising to return. Not at all. We shall see what becomes of it, but it did not look good in the moment, uh, falling on his what left arm. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what becomes of it, but that that's really where we're at with this team. So Malik Renew, perhaps the one of the best players. I mean, you could rank Renew or where you know one A and one B as far as the the top two players on this team. Uh, and one of those guys out, one of them came back from an injury and looked good last night in Khalil Ware. So IU overcame the injuries. They blew a 17-point lead. They had a lot of turnovers, but Anthony Leal had the spark, and IU gets a win. Now moving forward, this team solidly out, but you cannot deny that the schedule does ease up. Um, they have Penn State at home. They're at Ohio State. Talk about a team in free fall, Ohio State. Yeah, lost again last night, didn't they? Is a team in free fall. Uh, obviously, the game at Purdue coming up next weekend. But they have a, a lot of favorable opponents. I mean, you get Minnesota on the road, Maryland on the road, and Penn State on the road. The rest of your games are at home. On paper, there's an opportunity for this team to still somehow win 20 games. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> there, there is. There, there simply is. I mean, you get a lot of games at home to close out the season. Yeah. Six uh, of your 10 remaining games at home and the games on the road outside of the one at Purdue are against teams that are toward the bottom of the Big Ten. So there are opportunities. But at some point, you have to get a quad one win. And if it doesn't happen in the regular season, you're going to have to do it in the Big Ten tournament. You know, one thing that so many people, including us, have looked at is talking three-point shooting for Indiana is when they make threes, they win games. And when they don't, they don't win it. That's not entirely... Correct. Last night, they made eight threes and won the game. But previously, they made eight threes against Purdue when they got blown out on its home floor. They made seven threes on the road at Rutgers in early January and lost that game. They made nine threes at Nebraska on January 3rd when they shot nine of 18 and lost the game. So it's not as simple as saying if Indiana hits threes, they win the game. I think that's too easy of a narrative to say. And it's something that we've looked at too and said, well, IU has to shoot better from threes. They've had games that they've shot decent from threes and made a lot of them and still lost the game. 
So I think when you look at Indiana and the threes is a big part of it, but if you make six, seven, eight, nine threes in a game yet still can't rebound or still can't shoot from the free throw line, then it doesn't offset those things. And that's the key for Indiana. Yeah, free throw shooting, it's been bad all year. And another thing I, I think I'd throw out there uh, beyond free throw shooting, turnovers. If if they're you know limiting, and they had 11 last night, uh, but if they're limiting their turnovers, say you know 11 or 12 or less, it seems like they have a shot, right? They had, I think, nine against Illinois. They had a shot in that game. Uh, if they're getting a lot more than 12 turnovers, they don't really seem to have a shot. Now, that's not the case for every game, but that seems to be as much of a factor as, as three-point shooting, as you mentioned. Indiana, 326th in the country in free-throw shooting. That's not good. And it's just, it's unexplainable, right? It's just, it, it's, I, I, I don't know if it's just a bunch of guys that can't shoot free-throws. Is it infectious? I don't know. But 326, that's more indicative, in my opinion, of why Indiana is where they're at than the three-point shooting is they just can't make free throws. And that's killer. I do think that the three-point shooting is a problem, maybe in the amount that IU doesn't shoot, but they're around middle of the pack in the country in three-point percentage shooting, like 200th in the country or something like that. Like, it's not terrible. But what is terrible is their free throw shooting. I went through and, and and named off games where they made a lot of threes and lost and lost big. When you talk about Purdue making eight threes, eight of 24 shooting threes, and they still lost by 21 at home. So when you look at the struggles for Indiana, it's, it's either one thing or another, you know, only getting to the line nine times against Purdue and only making four of those is a big problem. Uh, losing at Illinois by eight, and you make just 54% of your free throws in that game. Losing at Rutgers and making just 26% of your free throws in that game. Indiana is not a good enough team to overcome clear issues in one aspect of the game, whether it's turnovers, whether it's free throws, whether it's the lack of three-point shooting. We talked about Purdue and winning a game when they get out-rebounded over the weekend, when they turn the ball over 15 times, and they still win. Indiana's not good enough to survive those things and not executing in all facets and being able to win a basketball game. I'll say this. IU 4-1 and one in Big Ten play at home. They have five home games remaining. And it's not exactly a murderer's row of home games outside of hosting Wisconsin. Which almost hurts. Like, wouldn't you rather... Unfortunately, I and we've mentioned it too, I use running out of opportunities to get those quad one wins. And the opportunities they do have are going to be on the road. Where they just don't... Well, they have Wisconsin at home. I mean, that that's right. a big one. But then you're at Purdue. Um, you have Northwestern at home. You have ne- Nebraska at home. You have Michigan do, State at home. Do you have to go to Ohio State still? Yes. So, I mean, that's one. Uh, although, like you said, Ohio State is fading a little bit. Yeah, they're they're three and seven in the Big Ten. I, I mean, they're we're, not we're halfway right through now. the conference season. Purdue and Wisconsin and Illinois are locks. Northwestern and Nebraska, you expect to get in. And then after that, who's next in the standings? IU. It's it's shocking. Right. But they are sixth. They'd be the sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament right now. Yeah. 
Um, CK, x-rays on X and Malik were negative, not ruling Malik out for this weekend. There's optimism X will be able to return soon. I just don't know. I mean, the, the way Xavier Johnson reacted to that wasn't good. Was not good. But even then, what does Xavier Johnson give you when he does come back? We've been just criticizing Xavier Johnson's play for the better part of the season. So, is is this team better? And this is a, a question, an answer that I don't know. Is is Indiana better as a basketball team with Anthony Leal out there as your off guard as opposed to Xavier Johnson? I don't know. Last night, it sure looked like it. Yeah, last night it was a definitive yes. Now. I don't think we're saying that Leal is going to become a starter, right? Correct. But could he be, become a guy off the bench who provides a spark? And I guess Gabe Cuffs is the other guard in there, but all he is is a ball handler. Now, he is willing to shoot more and more as the season's gone on. As we saw last night, hit a big three with under two minutes to play. It felt like a, a, a massive shift in the game. But at some point, you need him to be more aggressive offensively. That's exactly... I mean... Leal was open, so he was shooting shots. I mean, right. it's, it's not like Wide he was forcing anything. I mean, he was taking open shots, which is what IU needs to do. And then you need guys who can knock down open, knock shots, down open shots, especially from the perimeter. Yeah. Uh, another text coming in talking about Xavier Johnson's potential injuries and Malik Renew's potential injuries. Uh, I, I think in, today's going to be interesting in the fact that the longer we go today without clear uh, statements about where those guys are at, the more worried I'd be if I'm an IU fan. Um, I'm sure x-rays are being done on both of them if they haven't already, but the further we go without clear-cut, here's what Xavier Johnson's dealing with, here's what Malik Renew is dealing with, the more worried I'd be I'd be getting. And Especially it, Malik Renew. And if I we mean, don't have an answer today, yes. I, I think you kind of start to panic on what the especially future Renew. of this team is. Especially Renew. He's the key. Xavier Johnson, I'm like, eh, he does some good things, but he does some not so good things that we've talked about. <laughs> but Leak Renew, you take him out of that lineup long term, you're done. You're talking about one of the better young players in the Big Ten. Yes. And a dude that is, has broken out as advertised this year, the expectation, okay, with, with Jalen Hood, Shafino gone and, and TJD, that he was going to be the guy and he has delivered. You've been disappointed with Xavier Johnson's performance over the years, so I don't think you look at that and say, man, this is this team's really screwed if he's out. But Malik Renew, if he misses any length of time, IU's absolutely done. Coming up on the other side from IU to Purdue, Matt Painter speaks on Braden Smith being snubbed from the Bob Cousy Award. I'll tell you what Matt Painter had to say coming up here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you have a chance to win Comets tickets this Friday night. Comets hosting the Cyclones at the Coliseum. And to enter, all you got to do is text Cyclones to 46862. Again, Cyclones to 46862. You'll be entered to win. We'll pick a winner coming up at the end of the show. All right, from IU and their win last night to Purdue and Matt Painter speaking on Braden Smith. So earlier this week, Braden Smith who's the only player in the country to average at least 12 points, five rebounds, and five assists per game, who also happens to be shooting nearly 44% from three this season. Remember, that was a part of the Achilles heel last year. Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer falling off late in the year. Uh, Their three-point shooting going away. Well, he has been exceptional. He's been one of the better point guards in the country, but he was snubbed 
uh, on the list of, of players for the Bob Cousy Award, which won. Why are they putting this out in late January? A little weird. A little early, in my opinion. No Braden Smith on the list. Here's what Matt Painter had to say about it. I was like the Indiana High School um, sectional. I think they just drew it out of a hat. <laughs> so he didn't draw his name out of a hat. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, I, I would think that anybody that has a committee that's going to do something, you sit down and you go through stats, you go through, um, you know, just everything that's happened. You know, it's back-to-back years. I mean, look, at his, look at his head-to-head with a couple guys that are on there. Not to say that they shouldn't be on there because they're all good players. There's nobody on that list that doesn't deserve to be on that list, right? And keep in mind, I mean, think about how well he's played in big games. Big games. Well, for the Boilers. Dylan Sin mentioned this too, and he's absolutely right. Uh, yesterday when we had him on was, I think there are some people and, and some higher up people in terms of picking these awards that still look at Purdue as, well, they have the best player in college basketball. And that's why they're so good. Or it doesn't matter what Braden's, he just has to feed Zach Eady. It's just a simpleton's mentality and not really watching games to look that, uh, to look at Braden Smith and, and know that he's one of the best point guards in college basketball and should be on the Bob Cousy award watch list. And, but I do think that there are still some people out there that say, well, it doesn't matter who's getting the, it, all you got to do is just get Zach Eady the ball, right? It's not that hard, but that's a simpleton's mindset. I mean, look at what he did against Arizona, right? When it was a battle of one versus three and Purdue beat at the time, number one, Arizona, Braden Smith had 26. So, I mean, he's played well in big games for whatever reason. The only team he doesn't seem to play well against in his career is Indiana. But beyond that, he plays really well. And while it's disappointing, he is not on this list. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because it, here's the thing. Yes, Zach Eady's probably going to be back-to-back national player of the year. But Purdue has bigger goals in mind than just individual awards. And I, I understand why Purdue fans are upset. It's look, it, it works for online engagement, right? Sure. As far as crap like this, but it, it's not worth your time. Also, let's not forget that Braden Smith's only a sophomore. You expect him to have two more chances the next two seasons uh, to, to, win a lot of awards, and believe me, he will be the leader for this Purdue team the next two years after Zach Eady is off to the NBA. And I think that's the ultimate thing to keep in mind, and that will perhaps be the thing that proves to people that, yes, he is good enough. And for a guy who's had to overcome a lot, being, at least in terms of the basketball court, being listed at a generous, and I mean very generous, <laughs> six foot, he's probably 5'10 in reality, uh, one Mr. Basketball in high school, right, over a lot of top candidates, including his, his Purdue teammate Fletcher Lawyer, and I think he'll have that opportunity to to prove to these people not just this March but also the next two seasons that he is more than deserving for these kind of awards. Yeah, I do believe that next year is that year when, if and when Braden Smith can continue to perform at this level and perhaps at a higher level without Zach Eady around, that he will get the the recognition that he deserves. But as you mentioned, in terms of, of Purdue fans and yeah, the, it'd be nice but it's not a priority, and I can guarantee you it's not a priority for Braden Smith either. They no. just got to win basketball games in March. He couldn't care less if he's on the Bob Cousy Ward watch list or not. And that stuff is nice, but when you're part of a team and you're you're truly part of a team, right, yes. it's always about the bigger goal. And Purdue is laser-focused on making sure 
they're not upset in the first round and locked in on trying to get the Boilers back to the first Final Four since 1980. And make no mistake, he could be the single most important player for Purdue when March Madness begins. Absolutely. We've talked about how important guard play is in March Madness. He has to be really, really good in the tournament for Purdue to make a run. And and tournament's all about guard play, right? So between Lance Jones, Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith, you know, do we see more of Miles Colvin down the stretch? He hasn't played a whole lot of late. But those are going to be the guys, right, who are going to determine if Purdue is making a deep run or not. Because you got to have guards. You got to shoot well from outside. And if Purdue can get hot, remember last year, they got hot but it just happened to be in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. So push that back a week, and that will ensure that Purdue can at least have a chance to reach the goals that I think they know and we know they are capable of. Speaking of the Big Ten tournament, uh, Brett Rump talked about this yesterday on the Sports Rush, and I thought it was an interesting proposal in terms of the scheduling in the Big Ten tournament. And we know now it it will remain Wednesday through Sunday. And building in natural off days in that week. If you started on Monday as opposed to Wednesday and you give teams Tuesday off and then you give teams Friday off heading into the semis and the championship game, would that be something that you feel would help the Big Ten or do you still think it's too many games and too short of amount of time heading into the NCAA tournament? I think the real issue is is just logistics and scheduling when it comes to universities and families, right? Taking off a whole week when for the teams that are making the NCAA tournament, they're taking off the week after that as it is. Cause remember it's set up where spring break for these universities is the same time as the NCAA tournament. Believe me, that's intentional, right? So that's something you have to keep in mind. And I just think from a logistics standpoint for players and missing class. And I, I understand like, People don't think about the academic aspect when it comes to college sports that much anymore, but those decisions do factor into these conversations. And I just think that's why it's a Wednesday through Sunday event. And for a lot of teams, it's a Thursday through Sunday event. Well, and I think the problem is too, if you start it earlier in the week, you have game regular season games, Saturday, Sunday uh, to end the season. Yeah. The regular season. So it'd be, you'd have to push everything back then. Because, for instance, Purdue, their last game of the regular season is against Wisconsin on Sunday, March 10th. And then the Big Ten tournament is set to start on the 13th. Not saying Purdue will play on the 13th, but other teams are playing that weekend that would play that early. So it's I like the proposal in terms of trying to build in off days into the Big Ten tournament. If you're going to have it, You'd like to see something change to which you have some off days during the week. The problem is you're going to have to then push the regular season uh, forward a little bit in terms of that weekend. You can't be playing Saturday, Sunday, and then have teams starting play on Monday. Yeah, and that's ultimately the issue. I mean, the real problem is the Big Ten went for the money and didn't yes. think about the impacts well, they did. all this would have on other I bet other they sports. did. They just don't care. Yes. Because of the money. They just don't care. And that's the unfortunate part. I mean... You just make football-only members, and you can solve a lot of the problems in college sports, but that would be too easy.
also because football is the money generator. The other sports simply are not. I mean, that at least not to the level of Purdue or, or, or of football. That's no. for sure. No. And uh, speaking of football, from college football and the impacts it has on college basketball, we go to the NFL. And a former NFL star, in fact, the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, changing the narrative about early on in his career. What he had to say yesterday on the Pat McAfee show that is, well, quite interesting. Next, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you still have time to enter to win a four-pack of Comets tickets. Comets and Cyclones this Friday night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 8 o'clock. Just text Cyclones to 46862. You will be entered to win. We'll pick a winner. End of the show this morning. So Tom Brady... Obviously, the greatest quarterback of all time, seven Super Bowls. We all know the accolades, especially if you're a Colts fan. But he's now getting ready for a a, a career change. He took a year off, and then he's going to be back in football. He'll be paired uh, with Kevin Burkhart for the Fox booth in, in the NFL and replacing Greg Olson, which who knows where Greg Olson will end up. But Brady was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. And had this to say about his career and preparing for this opportunity to be a color commentator on TV. I've been a part of a lot of, you know, I've been a part of a lot of Super Bowls, championship games. I've had some, you know, seasons that didn't go the way we wanted. I have some injuries. I was undrafted rookie. I've seen guys come in with great expectations and not meet it. I've seen underdogs like Julian Edelman come along and make it. So, again, I think. I've had 23 years of just observing and I, I get to go on now and speak to a wider audience. And I used to probably use my body and my brain out there and people would see me kind of lead the team down the field. And now I get to do that in a different way using my voice. Uh, undrafted rookie? Close. Sixth round. Yeah. So he's already <laughs> misremembering his career arc. <laughs> Find that interesting. Uh, if you're going to be a broadcaster, obviously and. We all make mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but how? In what world was he? Un, like, did he just like tell that to himself? You know, as a way to channel success. Like, is Brock Purdy also telling himself he was undrafted? Oh, whatever you got to tell yourself, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. My biggest question is watching this clip. Does Tom Brady have four of them? Yeah, right. A lot of people have the same question in the background. <laughs> They're like stacked two on two, and and I'm just in what world. Do you need four ovens? What world do you not need? <laughs> okay, maybe that's the bigger question. I apologize. <laughs> if you can have four ovens, would you have four ovens? Um, I don't think so. But then again, I don't know. That possibility one when you're really hungry, you want to make a lot of food, get four ovens going. I don't know. But, <laughs> but uh, undrafted, he also mentioned that he respects Greg Olson, said he does an incredible job. Huh. Interesting, because that's the guy you're replacing in the booth. Well, I think it it doesn't matter how good Greg Olson is at his job. The fact that Tom Brady is going to be in the equation means you're getting bumped down. Doesn't matter. So I guess my ultimate question all of this is we look ahead to Tom Brady and who knows where Greg Olson will end up? Could he stay with Fox and just be demoted? I don't think so. Could he go to NBC? Would he replace Chris Collinsworth? I'd be surprised. I just think he's going to the number two spot at Fox, isn't he? I, I don't know. Uh, replace Romo, perhaps. Uh, but 
You would like that. I would like that. Who do you think will be worse? Because I am not a fan of Romo, and I don't have high expectations for Brady. Um, it's tough because I think we hold both of them to high expectations, particularly the GOAT and Tom Brady. We're expecting this uh, greatness out of him that we saw on the field, which I don't know if I, that's I'm not fair. expecting that. I don't yeah. think that's but fair. But I think a lot of people are. They, yes. they'll, they'll put that expectation on it. I think they'll also put that expectation on of, well, Peyton Manning is this, so you have to be as good. And I don't know. I think I think especially year one could be a little shaky for Tom Brady, but um, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, and, and hearing him, I like the, the insight that former players can give. Uh, I am not a, a, a detractor of Tom, Tony Romo, as much as you are. I will take Romo over Chris Collinsworth, to be honest. I would put Romo as the, the last guy among all the NFL TV. Entities. You would put him dead last. Yes. Dead last. Yes. At the bottom. Uh, we'll I would I would put Collinsworth number one because I usually learn something watching a game where he points out something, um, and then beyond that, I mean Olson has moved way up. I mean he's really good. Herb Street obviously more of a college guy, but he's done a good job with the NFL for sure. Uh, and then I would put uh, Aikman. I don't I don't know where to put Aikman. I guess I'd put him in the middle solid. of the pack. Yeah. He's solid. Yeah. yeah, he's solid. I put I guess I put him third, and I put Herb Street, and then I put Romo last. We'll see where Tom Brady slots in starting next year I yes I, I the the whole thing is is fascinating to me because i'm just i'm not sold and a lot of people say well peyton manning's did a good job in tv well but that's set up for him like, it matches his personality yes. and, and all that whereas yeah. being it, in the booth you gotta say stuff pretty quick Whereas Peyton Manning can just kind of live commentate on a game. Right. Yeah. Put Peyton Manning into a color commentary spot. Not saying he wouldn't do a good job, but it's just a different. Yes. Different job. Absolutely. Coming up on the other side, the Cicada Apocalypse is coming. We'll give you the details. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Final time to text Cyclones to 46862. Again, Cyclones to 46862. You'll be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the Comets in Cincinnati Friday night at the Coliseum. Puck drop at 8 o'clock. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, someone texting in uh, CK. Tony Romo equals Westwood One radio broadcast. Think about that for a moment. You're welcome. Uh, Kurt Warner and Kevin Harlan do an outstanding do a great job. job. Uh, sitting here looking up at the television on Get Up, currently the actual topic, do Bills need to get Josh Allen more help? So Dak <laughs> Prescott is not good enough. Uh, Lamar Jackson's not good enough. But Josh Allen apparently just needs help, more help around it. <laughs> That's what I don't understand about Josh. The, we've talked about it before, the Josh Allen apologist, where it's never his fault. Guy gets a pass. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get it. He is immune from criticism. Apparently, usually you have to have won something to get a yeah. pass. I don't understand why is it why why is it just Josh Allen's not good enough? He hasn't proven that he's good enough. Like Steph Curry gets a pass for everything in the NBA, but he's clearly good enough. He's the the best shooter of all time, right? And he's won multiple championships, but he always gets a pass. I, I don't think people are going to deny that. Whereas LeBron gets criticism no matter what. Totally, it's and Curry uh, gets a pass, but Josh Allen he also gets a pass, but he's not won anything. Not won anything. For multiple seasons, yet, you know. One Pro Bowl appearance. Second team All-Pro. I mean, that's it. That's the highlight of his career. And he played in one AFC Championship game. But Buffalo just has to get him more help, apparently. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> All right, the Cicada Apocalypse 
is coming. Two cicada broods are going to co-emerge for the first time in over 200 years. So, the last time these broods co-emerged, which is broods I like uh, the word eight broods. and brood Thir- uh, 19. Yep. X-I-X is 19. Yeah, 19 yep. and 8. The uh-huh. last time they co-emerged, Thomas Jefferson was president. Ooh. And the Louisiana Purchase was being finalized. Huh. Yes. That is true. Uh, so... What does this mean for Indiana? Well, it'll cross over in multiple states, including Indiana and Illinois. Um, Population size is difficult to predict. There can be around a million cicadas per acre. Oh, my God. Population is greatly affected, though, by the amount of deforestation, urbanization, and wildfire that's taken place in the preceding years. But this will be historic. Um They'll emerge at the same time. Ranges don't significantly overlap, meaning cicada density should appear normal. But there is a geographic overlap. Uh And Indiana uh, will be in the states uh, that will see the cicadas. So 13-year brood, 19, called the Great Southern Brood. It's considered to have the largest range of all periodical broods. It's been nine years since a 13-year brood emerged in the same year as a 17-year brood. These two broods haven't emerged since... 1803 together. So keep that in mind. Now, in terms of where the cicadas will be at in Indiana, it's not going to be all over the place. There are specific counties to keep in mind for this. So this is expected to impact Lake Laporte and Porter counties or brood uh, 13 and then Brood 19 will emerge in eight western counties from Posey to Warwick in the south, Newton and Jasper up north. Uh, so probably won't see it around here. Yeah, so if you're up in the region, you're going to get a lot of uh, cicada action this summer and going into Chicago as well. So a lot of cicadas. But a million per acre? Yeah. That's insanity. Yes. Up to a million per acre. Crazy. I mean, we have the... What, the solar eclipse this spring, right? Yep. And then we'll have the cicadas this summer. It's got a lot going on this summer. Yeah. In Indiana, for sure. Um, now, we won't, we're not in the zone of complete um, coverage of the eclipse, right? Like, we got to go a little bit south of that. Yes, I believe so. Um, I, I think Indianapolis like is Like Indianapolis, yeah, and, and up, I don't know if Muncie is that too, but we, it'll, be, it'll be pretty interesting. So between... Solar eclipses and uh, and cicadas. We got a lot to look forward to here <laughs> yeah. this summer. That does it for us here on Wednesday for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from three to four, and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump coming up this afternoon here on thirteen eighty The Fan and one hundred point nine FM.